Welcome to the Transfer Window with me, Henry McRae, and podcast regulars Ian McGarry and Duncan Castles. On today's pod, we'll discuss the prospect of a new financial fair play system, what the big clubs are doing to prepare for it, and the impact it could have across all levels of the game. We'll discuss the latest transfer news at Liverpool, Chelsea and Arsenal, and we'll look at the consequences for Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Now, Alexis Sanchez is the new golden balls at Old Trafford. We'll talk about Cristiano Ronaldo, we'll talk about Neymar, we'll talk about Johnny Evans. All the big names. And speaking of names, we'll even discuss football's greatest Gary. No kidding, watch out for that segment. But we start at the Premier League leaders Manchester City, who are set to splash even more cash, bringing in defender Americ Laporte from Athletic Bilbao and midfielder Fred from Shakhtar Donetsk. They are building a fearsome squad of young players on long contracts. So, are they building a dynasty that is set to rule European football for a generation? We'll start with Duncan and the latest on the two proposed new signings. Well, it looks like they're going to get both of those players. Um, quite simply because they're prepared to put more money down than anyone else for the for the pair of them. Americ Laporte is a player that... Guardiola wanted in Manchester City's team um, before he even be started uh, managing the club. Um, they made a, a big move for him in February 2016. We're going to pay his release clause from Bilbao then, and we're ready to offer him up to 10 million euros net as a as a wage package at the time. He got really badly injured, uh, ironically, in a, a playing against Scotland under 21s, trying to fill Liam Henderson, whose career has not gone in the same stratospheric direction as uh, Imeric Laporte's. Um, their release clause at the moment is going to be 65 million euros, and then they will also pay 5 million euros of solidarity fees um, to Laporte's uh, previous clubs. So that will take it up to just over 60 million pounds. Um, Another huge fee for a, a centre-back. With Fred, um, the Shakhtar are trying to hold on to him for the rest of the season because they're still in the Champions League and he would be cup-tied for Champions League games. Guardiola wants him in now, um, particularly because he has um, a very overworked midfield um, with David Silva's um, absences due, due to the birth of his child, um, putting a lot of pressure on top of the, the way they, you know, the high intensity game they play to start with. So he'd prefer to have Fred in for the, le- the rest of the Premier League season and aiding the Champions League campaign by being able to play the games up to those Champions League matches and allowing him to rest uh, as, you know, his two preferred um, forward midfielders and Fernandinho um, in games ahead of time. Manchester United tried to sign him. He was high on Jose Mourinho's list um, to bring a midfielder in in the January window. They inquired about the player and were told that Fred had um, preference was to go to Manchester City and essentially that they were not going to be able to beat uh, City on salary and transfer fee, which, according to Shakhtar, is probably going to end up being around €40 million. So there's another... um, well over 100 million euros in transfer fees alone in the January window um, for a team that spent more money in the summer window in transfer fees than any English club ever has before. And there is a, a very good reason for this, <clears throat> Henry, that in that uh, UEFA uh, this week, of course, announced that they are planning, it hasn't been introduced, but they're planning to introduce a more strict version of financial fair play uh, in the summer, which will apply to uh, clubs across um, U- European associations, um, and that limits clubs spending on transfers to ninety million pounds in any one season, calendar season. So that's two windows, which clearly that would be ridiculous. Um, from Manchester City, Paris Saint Germain, even Manchester United's point of view. Um, now, there's no guarantee that this will be approved, but I think City are being clever because you don't normally spend this amount of money in a January window without good reason, um, but they're being clever in doing it now just in case that is approved um, 
uh, by the summer and therefore they, they wouldn't be able to spend this kind of money potentially, but it also gives them scope obviously to spend money on other positions in the summer. However, one of the things I find fascinating about these moves as well is that it appears to me that, that, that Pep Guardiola is attempting to build a version of his incredible Barcelona team at their peak around sort of 2009 to 2011. Because if you look at what their team would be with Laporte and Fred in it, um, the only player over 30 would be Fernandinho. And other than that, you have players of an average age of, of around 25 or under. Um, uh, they've just started contract negotiations with, or not they're in contract negotiations, I should say, with Ryan Sterling, with Leroy Sané and with Gabriel Jesus. And this week, Kevin De Bruyne signed a bumper new contract as well. So what clearly Guardiola's um, aim is to build a 1-11 to of incredible quality and youth that could stay together for a long time. And the amount and the, if you like, the standard that they're setting in terms of these new contracts, I'm sure Duncan can tell us about uh, De Bruyne's, um, the, the details of that contract, and that will give everyone an idea of just how determined they are to keep their best players. Yeah, I, th- I think I think David Silva as well is over thirty. Yeah, he's but you're right. You're right to point out that they have brought the average age of that team down radically um, since Guardiola came in, and that obviously was one of his complaints when he took over the side was the age profile of the squad, and particularly the the fullbacks who he, he um, actually said were put about two years each on the ages of them when he made a press conference complaining about how slow they were and how they couldn't get up and down the wings um, during last season. Um, Guardiola, not only does he um, prefer to play with younger players, um, the the change in that the dynamic of the squad in terms of salary is incredible. And this is possibly... um, because of this, these FFP2 regulations, um, that they want to get these salary increases in beforehand um, to get their finances sorted out um, in case UEFA do something that makes it difficult for them or harder for them to strengthen their squad. So they've, they've renewed Silva, they've renewed Fernandinho, and they've also given De Bruyne um, the top contract at the club. Now I'm told that that will pay him a basic wage of £265,000 a week um, once you factor in the signing on fee and his image. But that basic will be bolstered by a lot of easily attainable bonuses. So if he plays over 60% of the games for City, he gets a big bonus. If City qualify for the Champions League, which is almost a given, he gets a big bonus. If they win the Champions League, he gets an even bigger bonus. Um, If he were to win an individual trophy, such as uh, Premier League Player of the Year, he gets a guaranteed pay rise plus a bonus. In total, the salary can reach £400,000 per week if he triggers all the bonuses. He can easily expect £300,000 a week just on the standard 60% of games and, and playing in Champions League. And that, in the context of City saying that they had to pull out of the Alexis Sanchez deal because it was too expensive for them, kind of tells you that really it wasn't so much about expense. It was where do they want to put um, the, their salary budget and they've decided to put the salary budget into a player who is key to their team at present and other players who are key to their team, such as Silva, Fred, and as you say, Gabriel Jesus, Raheem Sterling and Leroy Sani are all going to get big upgrades as well. So it's pretty much... <laughs> maximum spend on on the squad if you if you look at um you've got the most expensive fullbacks in football three of the four most expensive center backs by transfer fee in football second most expensive goalkeeper ever and then um a top contract in the premier league for the best player um and going in for you know probably a second choice center back um at at uh, 70 million euros in this window it's um it, Given how much they've spent, and no no club had ever spent so much on their on their squad as Manchester City have in the past six years, to keep doing this and to keep increasing this is quite phenomenal. And you can see why other clubs are are seriously concerned about how they compete. But how good do we think they're going to be? I mean, there's you know 
as many clubs have proved in the past, spending a lot of money is no guarantee of success. Are they spending it wisely? How how uh, good is this young team going to be in, in three years' time? Oh, I think um, <clears throat> they've shown this season already, Henry, that um, no one can live with them um, going forward other than a, you know, an off day uh, at Anfield a couple of weeks ago. But could, you know, consistently, um, <clears throat> their front four um, have been... Uh, almost unplayable. Um, that's not going to change. And I think what's interesting about what Manchester City are doing now, um, and I touched on this last week uh, when I gave one of the reasons why I believe that they pulled out of the Sanchez deal was because that they didn't want Sanchez, Guardiola specifically didn't want Sanchez in the dressing room, earning more money than the players he already has there because they didn't want to upset what he feels is a very good team spirit and momentum that they have. So, as I said, these guys are, uh, on average, um, under uh, from 1 to 11, under 25. They could be together for another five, six, seven years. Um, they've not reached their peak yet, but they're already playing at a level which is above everyone else in the Premier League. And then we will see, obviously, come Champions League knockout stage, how good they are against the best in Europe. But um, it's formidable. It really is. And the key here is that these guys already play together. They like playing together. They, they look to me like um, players who get on off the field as well as on it. There are similar ages, which always helps um, because things that, that seem maybe small by comparison, but are quite important, like music taste, tasting clothes. You know, these guys, they, they share that as well. And that really builds inside the dressing room. Um, and it, it's been key throughout, um, you know, the Premier League era, uh, albeit obviously in different ways, but you had the Arsenal Invincibles, you had the Chelsea team under Jose Mourinho the first time. Um, and obviously Manchester United's class of 92, uh, which continued to win and they won 13 Premier League titles. So these things are key. And, and obviously Guardiola knows this from his time at Barcelona. He knows that a, a you know, consistent selection, a group of players who are close as individuals in terms of their personal relationships as well as teammates, that, that counts for an awful lot. You do fight for each other. And no one's looking at someone else in the team and thinking he's earning more than me or I'm better than him, so I'm not getting a game. Those things are very important and they shouldn't be in any way devalued uh, as a means of winning trophies. And clearly, uh, Guardiola is looking to do that. And it wouldn't surprise me um, that if the next announcement we had was an extension to Guardiola's contract, because remember, he's got 18 months left of his original three-year deal. He tends to work in this three-year phases. Uh, he did it at Bayern Munich and left after his three years. Um, I wonder if the, the faith that City Board are showing in Guardiola's judgment in terms of the new contracts and, of course, the amount of spending they've done on new players, that they will be, I'm sure, um, talking to Guardiola about his future. And I reckon by summer, we'll see a new contract signed by Guardiola for maybe another two or three years. It would certainly, it certainly make sense for them to get Guardiola tied down while he's in a positive mood. So it would make sense to do it this season if they can or before the end of the season. And you can see the difference in his attitude when he's talking about staying on at City um, in interviews these days, whereas last season he was talking about going off and playing golf potentially when he was uh, deeply frustrated with the way things were going in English football. In terms of are they signing well... Let's just go through the players that, that have been signed with Guardiola as manager or for Guardiola with the expectation of Guardiola coming in as manager and see how they're doing. Raheem Sterling, best uh, season of his career. Gabriel Jesus proved himself immediately. Um, actually, a bargain buy. City were very clever to get him at what seemed like quite a high price um, given his status in Brazil when they, when they signed him and they did pay more than other clubs had to because of the way the release clause was framed in his contract, but um, we'd pay at least double now. Uh, Sani, best season of his career. De Bruyne, candidate for player of the year. Um, Walker, playing better than he's ever done before. Mendy, before he got injured, uh, looked an exceptional left-back. Ederson, Massive upgrade on, on what was a really bad buy in, in Guardiola's uh, first summer, um, Claudio Bravo. And we shouldn't uh, forget Nolito, who was another disastrous buy in the, in the 
in the first summer, but both of those have been shifted away. So, and, and Stones has improved as a player. Um, a lot of errors come back into his game the last few weeks, but English and clearly the potential to be the starting centre-back for that team for a long time. So you'd have to say they have bought on the main very well and, and have improved, and Guardiola has improved the players he's got um, and, and most importantly, improved the quality of football that the team is producing. It can't be the only team uh, preparing in this way for FFP2, uh, uh, can they? I mean, you know, other clubs... If, if this is a pressing issue, then surely other clubs are also aware of it and taking well, appropriate I mean, I think, action. I think that, that's, that's been clear in the, um, the wages that Manchester United have paid to Alexis Sanchez um, and also the wages that Arsenal in return have paid to Henrik Mkhitaryan. In fact, Arsenal are going for um, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who's going to cost in excess of £50 million. And uh, again, this is in the January window, remember, uh, traditionally a time when Player, uh, clubs spend up to 30% less than they do in the, January win- uh, the summer window. Um, you've got Chelsea in pursuit of two Roma players. Um, in fact, again, a deal that's going to be cost them over £50 million if it goes through. Um, and Emerson Palmieri and Eden Dzeko. Uh, so, and, and, and Liverpool, of course, have already bought Virgil van Dijk. So, uh, and are still trying, obviously, to get Naby Keita um, in this window if they possibly can. So, it's, it's true that the big clubs are um, trying to avoid FFP2, uh, any kind of penalties they may have to pay come the summer. Uh, I think it's, you know, as I said, it's, it's not something which uh, is unusual. Um, I remember a couple of years ago, Barcelona and Real Madrid were both facing transfer bans. Um, but having had those bans uh, suspended, spent big in a January window uh, for themselves because they knew they wouldn't be able to buy players in the summer. So it's just a way of using the system uh, to get around the system. Um, look, and, and I, I do believe, and I think um, we're all probably nearly there already, that this will be the highest spend ever in the Premier League in the January window. So, so, so are Manchester United about to add to that, Duncan? I mean, you know, uh, you, we started the window uh, saying they had the three priority positions they wanted to fill. Uh, they filled one with uh, Alexis Sanchez, but are we going to see some more? money getting spent in the red half of Manchester. Just on that topic of preparing for FFP2, what I would say is that Manchester City have been, well, they've been granted a huge amount of cash by Abu Dhabi. They've also been granted a, a wonderfully effective and hands-off management structure, principally because Abu Dhabi have very little interest in football. It's a business for them. It's as political and PR gain for them, so they want it organised well as a business. And Manchester City were the club hit first by it, the last round of FFP, and spent hundreds of man-hours on, on sorting out their books to avoid being penalised by FFP again. So it should come as no surprise that they are the club looking at what UEFA are doing to clamp down on the state-funded clubs and coming up with the best strategy to avoid that because that is what they did last time and they have the level of organisation to to sort themselves out in that way. In terms of Manchester United, um, those uh, positions we talked about were the priorities sort of going into this window and the next window. Um, Sanchez has become, you know, revealed himself basically as an opportunity to Manchester United to get a, a, a one of the best players in the Premier League into the squad who solved tick two boxes and that he can play striker and he can play winger. Um, I think uh, Mourinho is going to use him much in the way that uh, he used Cristiano Ronaldo at, at Madrid and make him a focal point of the attack um, and allow uh, him a freedom to play the position he would like to play against particular opponents and use his skills to um, build the rest of the attack off. I think that's the way things are going to go with him. In terms of recruiting a midfielder, yes, Mourinho would like to have another midfielder in in January. As we mentioned earlier, he tried to get Fred um, as a guy who could work beside Matic and allow Pogba to play further forward. Um, Fred's not going to happen because Manchester City are going to get him. He's been looking at alternative options. Um, Goretzka, 
Schalke was one of those on the list. Um, Bayern have secured Goretzka, so that, that's an impossibility. So the, the position at the moment is he waits till the summer to see if um, there's the finance and the right uh, profile of player to fill that role. Um, and also to find out which of the midfielders he has at the moment are going to be leaving. I mean, it's fairly clear that Carrick is going to retire, uh, probably going to take a place on the coaching staff. But there are question marks over Fellaini um, and other others within his squad at the moment. So it might not just be one central midfielder he needs to sign in the summer, it might be two. But they'll be quite limited in what they can do, won't they, Ian, if this FFP new rulings come in? Well, that's the thing, though, uh, Henry. What UF are currently proposing, I think, will be unpalatable, um, especially to the elite clubs who, like Manchester United, like Manchester City, but specifically Real Madrid, um, who, as we know from um, experience, have a lot of clout in the corridors of power uh, in Switzerland, in UF, because we know that Florentino Perez is eyeing up the one of the probably breaking the transfer um, record again this summer I think has been too long outside of the Santiago Bernabeu and um, that's a team much in need of a new Galactico maybe even two um, they, you know, they have gone out of the uh, the um, Copa del Rey this week they um, are 12 points I think behind uh, Barcelona and La Liga it's been a very, very disappointing season for Zinedine Zidane and um, Florentino Perez is not a man to hang about and, and rectify that. And usually the way of doing that is to throw money at it. So my suspicion is that the £90 million, uh, barrier which is currently being proposed will be upped or there'll be some kind of um, compromise uh, whereby, uh, as you know, and again, it's not just about buying, it's about balancing here. So... If they, as, as Duncan has repeatedly reported on the transfer window, that Cristiano Ronaldo most likely leave the Bernabeu this summer, then that's going to recoup them around £100 million. So they can spend £100 million, uh, having recouped 100 on someone like Harry Kane or, or Aidan Hazard uh, and not worry about the FFP too, too much. But they need more than just one player. So I reckon there'll be a compromise situation. Um, but it, it does mean that clubs will necessarily have to get players who aren't playing but are have got a valid, certain value and certainly have contracts which um, they wouldn't get at other clubs. They're going to have to get them out. So they're going to have to um, bite the bullet and, and pay people to leave, etc., etc., rather than keep them at the club because they simply need to balance the books. And I, I think, in fairness, it's meant to bring a, a sense of accountability, but it's also meant to bring um, a sense of you know more of a level playing field for clubs who can't afford to spend in excess of 100 million every transfer window that they themselves can you know compete not compete obviously with for the big players but that if the likes of Real Madrid and Manchester United and City are limited to buying maybe one or two players at that level then the other clubs uh, can hopefully get a little bit closer because they can buy maybe three players at 30 million um, and make a difference to their squad which gets them that little bit closer to being competitive and I think that's where UEFA are coming from on this. And what is the latest on uh, on our boy Ronaldo, Duncan? Is there any any uh, news on whether he is likely to move soon or in which direction? Well, as far as he's concerned, um, he has been informed by the club that they will sell him in the summer. Um, and that he's uh, allowed to talk to suitors. Um, uh, the, if you look at the what's been happening in the press in Spain, there's been a lot of reporting that Madrid want him out. Um, there was also some reporting that the door was closed to him at Manchester United um, as a result of the Alexis Sanchez signing, um, uh, with great play being made of the fact that Sanchez had been given a number seven shirt. Um, I think you'll see something from United saying that that's not the case and that the door remains open to him there. Um, I think essentially his options in Europe come down to two clubs, which are United and Paris Saint-Germain. Um, from my perspective, I think the most interesting transaction there is Neymar 
continuing to try and get out of Paris Saint-Germain and we, we see more noises about that um, basically every week. Madrid being interested, very interested in taking Neymar from Paris Saint-Germain and the obvious switch would be to move Ronaldo to PSG as the higher profile um, you know, superior footballer going into the PSG camp so PSG and the Qataris can sell it as we've got the best player in the world now um, and we allowed Neymar to go um, and took a profit on it and we put the money into other areas of the, the team. That that looks to be what Madrid are trying to do at the moment um, and then the question will be whether Manchester United who have pursued Ronaldo basically every year since he left the club are capable and willing to meet the wages he wants, which is to be on an equivalent with Messi, Messi's new 35 million net contract at, at Barcelona and be restored to being the best paid footballer in the, in the game again. That would be um, one hell of a uh, transfer in terms of um, obviously Neymar's association with Barcelona. I, look, there's, there are there are. A pre- there are precedents which have been set. Obviously, Luis Figo being, I think, probably the most high-profile who went directly from Barcelona to Real Madrid, having uh, Real Madrid paid his, his buyout clause. I'm not sure that Real Madrid would have gotten away with it with Neymar, and I'm not sure Neymar was willing to, or indeed is mentally strong enough, to have taken the flak if it was Madrid who met his buyout clause and not Paris Saint-Germain. However, um, I would not be surprised um, if there was a almost a plan in place um, and that Perez who has been very quiet regarding transfers really in the last two windows um, is doing so because he knows already that Neymar wants to come to Madrid and that they can do a deal which takes Cristiano Ronaldo there which of course would save the face of PSG's owners and PSG because arguably they're getting uh, a more high profile player albeit at 32 so there are very few players you could replace Neymar with and, and, and you know, placate your fans and, and also not lose face. But I think Cristiano Ronaldo would be probably maybe the only one uh, outside of Leo Messi. So I wouldn't surprise him at all. And of course, uh, these kind of things go on all the time where players um, know that the, the, the move they're making initially is, is effectively to be parked for a season before they move to another club. Uh, because the politics aren't right and everything else. So um, I think it's going to be a very interesting few months um, ahead when we see the different um, movements and negotiations going on. Um, and I would not be surprised if Neymar ended up at the Bernabeu and certainly Christian Ronaldo went in the other direction. Well, talking of ageing superstars, we've obviously got uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic still at Manchester United. I'd also remember, Henry, it's Duncan's birthday today if you talk about ageing superstars. Oh, yes. <laughs> In his prime, as, uh, as reporters go. Um, <laughs> so, uh, since you're in your prime, can you tell us what's happening with, with Zlatan and how the Alexis Sanchez arrival at Old Trafford is likely to impact on our Swedish superstar? I thought you were going to mention Robbie Burns there when you were talking about ageing superstars having a birthday today. Well, well, that's, that's true as well. I didn't realise you, you shared the, a birthday with the Bard. <laughs> I do, which is great because all of Scotland celebrates on the same day. It's my birthday. <laughs> um, Zlatan, uh, it, one of the reasons uh, United have been looking for a forward is that they knew um, Zlatan's move away from Old Trafford is likely to be to America or China, um, and they also knew there was a possibility that that could be brought forward um, to uh, next month. Um, so you'd be in the MLS or in the Chinese Super League for the start of the season in March. Um, that The chances of that happening have, have obviously increased by getting Sanchez into the squad. Um, United are clear that Zlatan does not want to stay for another season to be a squad player. doesn't fit his personality. Um, and the the way they would they would have to offer a severe reduction in wages to be able to retain him as a squad player. So this him exiting probably suits all parties. Um, and then it's a question of whether he decides to exit uh, during the season or waits till the end of the season um, to do that. Um, 
obviously if he exits during the season that would free up uh, salary which can be put towards improving the squad in the summer which is very and also, important to United you know and, and you know these the, this the whole FFP thing is, is is fascinating because it is you know there's a kind of political battle and attention and that UEFA as Ian mentioned want to restore competitive balance but the real driving force between this for this new FP is the traditional clubs like Manchester United, Barcelona, and Real Madrid, trying to put down Manchester City um, and uh, and um, Qatar-owned um, PSG because they're being <coughs> having their their hegemony in the transfer market taken away from them by by state-funded uh, clubs. And and how you ever come to an answer which. Um, which suits Real Madrid um, and Manchester United's moves in the transfer market because this this idea of a ninety million net spend maximum ceiling on um, on transfer fees would actually hit Manchester United um, as as it would have hit Manchester City and uh, as it would have hit PSG and as Ian points out would probably hit um, Real Madrid this summer. So they're gonna there's a lot of um, delicate politics to go on here um, and it's not really about what financial fair play was was initially brought in for which was supposed to be maintaining the the um the health of the of of football finances across the board not not about keeping um clubs who are bought by uh rich individuals or states down from the established order and just one thing on Zlatan as well henry lots of um informed speculation that David Beckham's uh, MLS franchise will be announced next week in Miami. What, uh, what odds for Zlatan to become the face of Beckham's franchise in Miami? Nice place to live. He could be the marquee player. Would they ever play together? Maybe they play at AC together Milan. Milan? Yeah. I think they played at AC Milan together, yeah. I, I know this is a this is a bigger topic for maybe another podcast, but you know we should probably discuss at some stage whether we agree with financial fair play and the evening up of football, which, you know, other sports, particularly in the United States, have, uh, you know, a fair crack at in a franchise system, obviously very different setup, but, you know, it's a far more even playing field where teams just can't buy their way to success. But in principle, are we in favour of this or are we uh, rabid capitalists that just want the rich to get richer and more powerful? Um, I think in, in terms of um, spending power, the market will always dictate, and the market has become hyperinflated in the last, well, even in the last six months, never mind the last you know, six years. Um, you know, I was speaking to a sport director at a Premier League club this week who was telling me that uh, they used to buy an average, sort of, you know, a, a good player, but not a brilliant player, for under £10 million, and that that player is now costing in excess of twenty, um, And that's probably unique to the Premier League because uh, the club, the selling clubs, especially the smaller selling clubs, um, look at the amount of revenue from the TV deals and just double their price. And unfortunately, uh, English Premier League clubs are being held to ransom as a result of that. And so they're paying over um, the odds for the transfer fee, which means they pay over the odds on the wages, uh, and everything gets inflated. So the, the, in, the impact of FFP2, hopefully, would would maybe even that out a little bit um, because other clubs, every club would have to comply. So um, there's a chance that maybe the Premier League clubs would actually benefit from this. And by that, I don't mean the top six, the top four, who obviously have the spending power similar to Real Madrid and Barcelona. I mean, like the, the, the other 16 clubs in the league who, who spend a lot of money, probably not as much as 90 million, but spend a lot of money in transfers, but still have this huge gap between them and, and the top. Uh, and the chance of breaking into top six and top seven in terms of European places um, has been um, has diminished because of spending power. Just look at the money Everton have been spending. So, yeah, look, I, 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 as I said, the market will dictate, but I, I don't think it's a bad thing um, uh, because I think fees themselves have been getting out of hand. Um, and what will happen as well is we will see things like Ronaldo's, Cristiano Ronaldo's £1 billion um, release clause. No one will be able to have a release clause more than £90 million anymore because otherwise they won't be able to be bought. So interestingly, we'll see release clauses uh, reduced as well because a player wants in a contract, if he's being priced out of a move, 
in any given uh, window. And that's a subject in itself for discussion. Well, look, as, as, as a Scot who's lucky enough to share a birthday with Robbie Burns, I'm certainly not a rabid capitalist. Um, in terms of the FFP, I, I think it's, it's just such a difficult thing to control when, when you have huge amounts of money in football and those amounts of money increasing at you know the rate they've been increasing and are and are likely to continue to increase every time the tv revenue goes up more of it goes into football and that money will be spent on players how you distribute it between the clubs is obviously the big problem um in terms of the initial principle of ffp which was to stop an owner coming into a club and saddling them with huge debts I think that was absolutely right. And and I think actually that could be addressed in a, in a very simple rule, which would be if you want to buy a club and you want to buy a player like Neymar, then UEFA could make a rule saying, if you want to put 500 million euros into a deal for um, Neymar, which is the cost of the of the transfer fee, the signing on fee and the salary over the course of five years, you've got to put 500 million euros of equity into the club now non-returnable equity and that stays in the club until you move the player out or shift them onto a new contract and that way the club can never be endangered by an owner signing a player who is beyond the the natural financial means of that club so whether if the owners bail out and say i don't want to be involved in psg anymore i don't like this football game it's too much hassle um too much attention the club then has all the, the liabilities that have been placed on them by that owner covered and they can ratchet down to a more realistic level uh, gradually. That would be the, the simple way of, of, of doing the original intention of FFP. But as we discussed earlier, FFP is not about that anymore. It's about football politics. It's about Barcelona, Madrid, Manchester United, Arsenal, Chelsea complaining that people are spending more money than, than them and that they're not... Um, bringing that revenue from from uh, natural sources, if you like, from television revenue, from um, proper sponsorship, from um, supporters in the stadium. Oh, they're bringing it from uh, natural resources, as in petrodollars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, well, that's enough about that. Uh, maybe we'll let, schedule a, a podcast about that at some other point. If you want to let us know what you think. If there's a, you put some fantastic system for evening up the playing field, then maybe let the guys know on the Twitter sphere. Let's move on to Liverpool and the news that they are being linked with Gremio forward Luan Duncan. What can you tell us about this deal? He can play. He can play centre forward. He can play as a central striker. He can play number ten, left wing, right wing. So he's very much in that category of player that Liverpool have a lot of and which are fundamental to Klopp's system and the kind of player he likes. He's liked to recruit throughout his um, managerial career. He's a player that's been watched by Liverpool um, for quite a long time. He's uh, currently South American Player of the Year, um, was central to Gremio's Copa Libertadores, a successful Copa Libertadores campaign, played in the Club World Cup final against Real Madrid recently. And also signed a new contract at Gremio in November. And that, that's the key here because that contract includes a release clause of 18 million euros, which is exceptionally low for a player of his profile. Um, and there have been conversations between Liverpool and the player this week. Um, as far as I know, no conversations with Gremio as yet. Um, exploratory over... Potentially a deal in January, but probably more likely a deal in the summer. Um, and of Liverpool's list, we know that they want Thomas Lamar. We know that Thomas Lamar had agreed to come to the club um, if they could uh, meet Monaco's uh, asking price and a transfer fee that they haven't been prepared to do because Monaco want over 100 million euros for him. Liverpool are also looking at another player in a sim similar category, um, not a striker, but in that, for that second line of attack in Christian Pulisic, that would be a summer move um, from Borussia Dortmund. Would be a lot more expensive than Luan, probably in the in the region of 70 million euros plus. Um, so they're exploring options there. 
There are other Premier League clubs interested in Luan, uh, Leicester City like him, and Crystal Palace have also had discussions with him. So he's a, a player to keep an eye on because with that release clause, um, I think it's, it's almost guaranteed that he moves to Europe um, before too long and certainly um, by the end of the summer transfer window. Given that list of um, interested clubs, Duncan, I would um, take an educated guess that Kia Jarabchin may be involved somewhere in this particular um, proposal of sale um, from a Brazilian player, young player into England, uh, which of course it was Jarabchin who masterminded Felipe Coutinho's move from Liverpool to Barcelona. So um, you've got to think he maybe owes them a favour on that one. Um, I'm slightly surprised because, as you mentioned, Duncan Liverpool are kind of overloaded with. Um, attacking midfielder stroke strikers um, who have the physique of Victorian chimney sweeps but the pace also of Victorian chimney sweeps which helps in the Premier League um, so but then again you know they, 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 obviously they, they've suffered in the last uh, 18 months with, through injuries to outset specifically to, to, to Sado Mane um, if uh, Salah were to be injured for the rest you know for any point of the rest of the season they would be struggling for goals as well so it looks to me like they're looking to bring in someone who can be an apprentice and come through and obviously potentially replace one of those players when the inevitable knock on the door comes from um, someone who has won a title over the last 22 years. Sorry, Anfield Rap. Uh, where, so... would you put, where would you put them at the moment? I mean, they, you know, we were fairly critical of them at the start of the season. Um, they've addressed the issues at the... Uh, at the, the back um, with signing Van Dyke, you know, they had a fantastic performance against Man City um, and beat them, and then they go and uh, lose to Swansea. So, what stage of the uh, Klopp journey do you think we're at, and and how do you see it progressing to, for, through the rest of the season and towards the following season? Where, where's Liverpool at at the moment? I think that, look, they've clearly improved. Um, Beating Manchester City is a huge plus for Klopp um, with the board, but more importantly with the fans. It gives gave them something to um, you know joyously celebrate in and, and say we are we are the team that that stopped the the supposed in, invincible season that was going to happen. I mean, I, I saw I remember listening to the commentary in that match and. As uh, Manchester City got close to equalising at the end, and you know Jim Beglin saying this is this is uh, this is the invincible season. Does it happen or not? Which um, is quite a lot of presumption involved in that. But for Liverpool, um, a huge feather in their cap, and 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 important for Klopp uh, to do that and to be seen to be strengthening the team to get a player like Van Dijk in. Um, but there's still a lot more work to be done in that squad, as we, you know, as we keep saying on the podcast. They're still, they still don't have a, a reliable first choice goalkeeper. They're still, if Van Dijk works for them, they've got one good centre back. They don't have a top quality right back. Um, they've got a problem with Emery Chan. They've got to convince him to stay. Um, and you could argue that they probably in, in the in the in the best world, they'd want an upgrade on Emery Chan anyway. Um, the rest of their midfield isn't brilliant. It's that the attack is the, is the kind of redeeming um, factor. But I, I think they're still quite short in numbers there, which is why you, you, you can see them looking for someone like Luan, Lamar to add and give them, give them the ability to rotate more, which is something that, that Klopp has learned this season. In his first two campaigns in Liverpool, he had serious problems with January. And the results fell off a cliff because of the way he was training the players and because he was um, working them too hard in the field. And he's managed to rotate his squad this season and keep the results going through this winter period. So that, that's a big um, aspect of improvement. I think they also need a centre-forward. You know, I think they need a, another centre-forward alongside Roberto Firmino, a good player that he is. There are a lot of games where they're not converting enough of the chances they're creating on the pitch. I think the Swansea game was the 23 shots they had. Um, and that's quite typical of Liverpool matches in that they produce a lot of shots on goal, but have these games where they end up losing or dropping points to teams that they're expected to beat. And so that needs to change. So, yes, um, significant progress. Yes, it looks like they will... Um, 
qualify for the Champions League again through their league position, which is very important to FSG, but also a lot of work still to do. Well, let, let's move uh, on to Chelsea, Ian, because, um, well, Klopp, we imagine, has a, a future at Liverpool. Uh, we would severely uh, doubt the future of Antonio Conte at Chelsea, but it does seem like he's about to spend a reasonably large sum of money on a couple of players in this window. Well, I, I think we can say that Chelsea are about to spend a reasonable bit of money because Conte, where he may have some influence on these two particular players, and you're obviously speaking of Emerson Palmieri and, and Eden Dzeko at Roma, um, Conte has no final say and very little first say in transfers, which is, of course, the source of the friction and frustration which will see him leave by the end of this season, if not before. We, we've been talking for weeks about this in the transfer window. Um, I think comments that he's made this week where he has been, again bemoaned um, the lack of financial power, in his view, of Chelsea compared to other clubs. Uh, well, great, again, on um, Executive Director Mirna Gravskaya, who's in charge of transfers. It will great with Roman Abramovich, who believes that Conte's been given more than enough resources to strengthen and improve last year's title-winning team. Um, my personal view is that, and I think it's shared by many people, and that is that last season Chelsea didn't have any European football, not even Europa League. Um, they could train and uh, rest and recuperate six days in between matches in the Premier League uh, where everyone else who was competing for that the same title were playing either in the Champions League or Europa League. So uh, he got lucky in his first season in terms of inherited a, a team who hadn't qualified for Europe. Um, he also inherited a very good squad um, and you know, they were on to win the title convinc convincingly. However, the complications of Champions League football this season have clearly taken their toll. Uh, they have sold poorly and recruited poorly. Um, I don't think anyone in the right mind would see the, that um, Timio, Timio Bakayoko is an upgrade on Nemanja Matic nor indeed is Danny Drinkwater. So these frustrations, as I said, have caused the friction which we'll see him leave. Um, as for the transfers of Palmieri and Dzeko, well, Palmieri is the, the cheap version of Alexandro uh, Juventus, who uh, is being quoted as as high as £60 million to buy him. Palmieri will come in at probably less than 40 or maybe around that price. Dzeko, I think, is interesting. I've always been a big fan of Aidan Dzeko especially at Manchester City, where his goals to game minutes were very, very impressive uh, and it, when he wasn't getting a lot of game time. But his scoring rate, as I said, per minutes played was very impressive. He's, he's, I think he's 31 now, but he's not lost anything in terms of his physique. He was never fast. But clearly, um, Chelsea's muted interest in people like Andy Carroll and, uh, has convinced everyone that they're looking for a tall, powerful striker. Um, to be back up to Alvaro Morata. So, uh, Dzeko back in the Premier League, I'd be happy I'd be happy about. As I said, I like him as a player. Um, I couldn't believe that when City were disposing of him, that Arsenal didn't move in and sign him because it seemed to me to be the obvious uh, player to, to get 20 goals a season for them. Well, um, stick, stick, stick him with Arsenal. Um, mm -hmm. what's, uh, what's the latest on uh, Obama Young a Ding Dong? And, uh, and they're also getting linked with the likes of uh, Johnny Evans. So... What can you tell us about what's well, going on well, there? Well, first of all, Johnny Evans um, is preferred um, uh, venue to play football uh, for the rest of the season would be the Etihad Stadium. And indeed, the deal that um, almost saw him move there in the summer window um, was uh, revived uh, and agreed. And I believe still on the table. Um, so it's, it's there for Johnny Evans to accept or not. Of course, a fee still has to be agreed with West Brom. Um, I don't believe that that's happened as yet. There is a clause in Evans' contract which says that if West Brom get relegated, then he can leave for £3 million, whereas the rest of the squad, West Brom squad, their wages will be halved um, if they get relegated. So Evans is going either in this window or, or the next. Unfortunately for Evans, um, the interest in Americ Laporte means, uh, for Manchester City means that he would be relegated to either third or fourth choice at the Etihad, and at 29, and as captain of Northern Ireland, who, uh, of course, we had the UEFA Nations draw yesterday. This is a guy who wants to play. He's in the prime of his career. He's not going to be happy to sit on the bench at the Etihad, and therefore Arsenal's interest in him uh, has um, 
uh, taken a new turn in terms of what Wenger wants. They know that they can get him relatively cheaply for the quality of player he is. It's up to Evans now to decide whether he wants to move south, which he, he, I understand he wanted. He, as I said, his preference was to remain uh, in the northwest, um, or um, or play football and move to London. So it's very straightforward. As far as Aubameyang is concerned, we did cover this extensively uh, last week. Uh, uh, there's a difference between what Arsenal are prepared to pay and what Borussia Dortmund want. Um, the player wants to come, the club wants to sell, and Arsenal want to buy. Normally. In transfers, when you get the uh, alignment of all three parties, it happens. Um, but in this case, it's all about the cash, and that um, Dortmund feel that uh, Obama Yang is currently the most prolific striker in Europe over the last 12 months, bar Harry Kane, which is quite an impressive statistic. Therefore, they feel that the fee that they should get should reflect that. So, if Harry Kane's worth 200 million, Obama Yang, well, he's not worth 200 million, but he is worth more than 50. At the moment, Arsenal are offering around 44. Duncan, no interest in... Van Steen, you got no interest in taking John Evans back to Old Trafford? Look, I think he's, he's a possibility. Um, Manchester United will strengthen at centre-back again in the summer. I'm very confident of that. Um, and as, as we know, um, high-quality centre-backs are in short supply. Um, Evans... Is a is a, a capable Premier League centre back who can uh, play the ball out from defence. So you could see him coming into the picture if he's still available in the summer. I don't think by any stretch of the imagination he'll be first choice, but um, you know that's it's one to think about. I think um, we we talked last week just to go back to Chelsea. We talked last week about how PR club PR has become very important in the transfer market these days. And I think Chelsea are just a cardinal example of this because we have had, um, since the summer, Chelsea uh, presenting the case that Alexandro was their top choice to sign um, because Conte wanted him. And that they were um, they also were happy to be linked with Alexis Sanchez in both, of, both the summer window and this window. What are they ending up um, making an offer for? Uh, Emerson Palmieri and Eden Zeko. Um, for about 50 million euros. And what did Antonio Conte say last week when he was asked about Manchester United signing Alexis Sanchez? He said, we were never in this race for Sanchez ever, and one of the reasons was this amount of salary. So, you know, that tells you what the club are up to and how they want the fans to believe that they're, they're in for top players. But when it comes down to it, they usually aren't. And it tells you about the conflict between Conte and the club, that he's prepared to say that in a press conference. And he said something very similar the week before. And it, something else going on at Chelsea, which, um, which kind of feeds into this, is the, the cadre of youth players that they sign um, and put on big contracts and expect every manager who comes in to promote into the first team and every manager who's ever come into Chelsea has decided that they're not good enough. And none of them have developed into um, regular starters for the, for the first team. Um, at the moment, they've got Charlie Musonda, who's a player who Celtic have been interested in taking on loan in the January window. Um, a young Belgian talent that most of the top Premier League and some of the European clubs tried to sign when he was a teenager. Chelsea got him very young, spent a lot of money on him. He's still not started the game in the Premier League, but in December they gave him a new contract which pays him 1.2 million euros net. Um, so you can see why the club are pressuring their managers to put these players in the team because their investments in them are high. But is that a good thing for the managers? If it always ends up in the conflict of the manager saying the guy's not good enough and I want uh, more established players. Musonda at the moment, Chelsea are probably going to try and loan him to a Premier League club and there is significant interest from teams like Newcastle and Bournemouth in him and taking him on loan. But the player himself wants to go either to Germany or Spain because he thinks that would um, suit his development better. And there's an offer on the table from uh, Leganes in La Liga who, who just um, beat Real Madrid in uh, Copa del Rey um, to take him on loan 
for uh, for that half season. So it's interesting to see how that one turns out, whether Chelsea will allow the player to go to Spain, which is what he wants, or whether they'll force him to move to a Premier League club because they think that's better for his development. We should also just put a footnote on the Alexis Sanchez thing, Henry, with regards to Chelsea, that is that they are currently in um, very uh, prolonged and uh, uh, contract extension talks with two of their best players, Thibaut Courtois and Aiden Hazard. Um, those players uh, would expect to be upgraded to salaries in excess of £200,000 per week. If Sanchez came in and was earning 260, 300,000 a week, then obviously that would become the benchmark for the starting point of new negotiations, certainly with Hazard, if not with Courtois. And therefore, what you end up with is, again, a situation whereby by bringing one player in, you end up playing three or four players the same or more. Therefore, you're um, multiplying your indemnity on salaries. And again, with FFP and everything else, that's going to be difficult. So every time uh, you you move the goalposts, if you like, in the dressing room in terms of your top earner, then your best players will want to be the same, if not better. Uh, and remember, historically, it was John Terry who had the wonderful clause put in his contract. He must always be the top earner at the club. And so every time anyone got an upgrade beyond him, he also got an upgrade. And that's something that that's a, 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 a trap Chelsea will not fall into again. Well, actually, I, I think we should have a clause closing this podcast on there, you know, I should always earn the most, obviously, of the three of us. What do you think about that? I think that is the case anyway, given think... what Duncan and I get paid. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, I have to agree. That was, that, that was, a, that was an open goal. An open was, goal that even, even, even I couldn't miss. Well, you know, I had big contract negotiations when I agreed to talk to you once a week about this kind of nonsense. And, uh, you know, obviously... It came at a significant price. Anyway, um, I've just realised that we have not in any way lined up. Fair round. Quite fair, but I have scanned and scoured my Facebook feed and one of my one of my friends has posted I'm just trying to find it now, it's gone it's gone missing, but he's basically posted that Gary Oldman, the actor, uh, who is uh, recently starred in a movie playing the part of Winston Churchill. Um, is the greatest Gary of of all time. He's the, the best Gary ever. And I'm just wondering who the best Gary in the world of football is. And, and while you desperately try and think of one, I'm going to I'm going to go first just to give you a, a chance to think. But I'm going to steal the obvious one. I'm going to go for Gary Bertels, who um, was the star centre forward in the Nottingham Forest team that won the two European Cups uh, in the late seventies. Then moved for what was then a big money move, 1.25 million uh, to Manchester United, where he took over a year to score his first goal. I think he only barely got into double figures for goals for United before he returned to uh, Nottingham Forest. And in, in, in his career, he grabbed three three caps for England, I think. But Gary Bertels would be my pick for the, the football's greatest Gary. What about you? Well, I, I've got to go for um, the uh, the shop steward, Gary Neville. Incredible career at Manchester United. Uh, obviously, uh, multiple Premier League winner, Champions League winner, won everything. Uh, but also did so um, on a, a talent which he himself admits uh, was way below the levels of the players he was playing with. He worked uh, incredibly hard to ensure that he kept his place in that team. And, um, and I think as well... Uh, when he uh, was completely done, I think it was at West Brom in his final game for Manchester United, he held his hands up and said it was time to retire and did so uh, with great dignity uh, as well. And since, of course, has um, raised the bar in terms of punditry. Uh, so I think uh, football's greatest Gary has to be Gary Neville. Well, I'm, I'm tempted to go for a, for a, a Gary who made me very happy in 1994 when he was uh, involved in Dundee United's first Scottish Cup win, the, the great Gary Bolan, who we also took quite a lot of money off uh, Rangers for when we, when we sold him on after he'd beaten them in the Scottish Cup. But I think um, the, the, the greatest Gary in football is an obvious choice and it's someone who, who needs to get a new clause in his uh, transfer window podcast. That would be Ian McGarry. Oh, oh. I would agree with that, Duncan. What a sick 
Oh, <laughs> I'm holding up an imaginary red card down the microphone. Uh, you, know, you, know, you know, Henry, you, you, you will get booked for holding up that imaginary red card. <laughs> like Paul Gascoigne did. <laughs> what the hell was it, the Talking of Gaza, I mean, you could have brought in the Gaza for Gary. Anyway, um, anyway they, I mean, the they premise that Gary Oldman's the greatest Gary is ridiculous because everyone should know it's Gary Boosie. And if you need any evidence, go into YouTube and type in Gary Boosie interview on Hunter S. Thompson and <laughs> you'll see a man <laughs> who's got his own little thing going on and I'm not sure what colour the sky is in his world, but it wasn't blue that day. Thanks to uh, Ian, thanks to Duncan. I think that wraps it up. We, unless you guys have got anything else you want to pitch in before we draw matters to a close. Just that hopefully uh, jo- Johnny does a good editing job on the Greatest Gary Seat segment. That's <laughs> <laughs> going in unadulterated. Um, <laughs> yes, this has been the Transfer Window Podcast. We are reaching the, uh, the end of the uh, January window. We might... Um, go early next week or maybe we'll just uh, the next podcast will be on February 1 wrapping everything up uh, we'll, we'll make our mind up uh, during the week and let you know this has been the Transfer Window Podcast you can get it on iTunes you can get it on Audioboom you can get it on a bunch of other places just uh, find it on the platform you use thanks for listening see you soon